Welcome to Living Fullness, a podcast where two unusual friends explore all things friendship, relationships, and the Christian life. My name is Dina Constantine. And I'm Father Sean Burns. And each month we bring you a guest, someone who will share their experience and strengths with us, helping us to learn, grow, and to live life to the full. another episode of Living Fullness. Whether you're listening in through your earpiece, in your car or in your home or through our YouTube channel, you are most welcome. We have a very special guest with us today. We do. We have one of my wonderful teammates from Virtual Ministry here, Emily Shaw. Welcome, Emily. Thank you so much for having me. It is so exciting to have you here. Great to have you on. Yeah, Yeah. it's exciting to be here and (laughs) a bit (laughs) nerve-wracking. Oh, (laughs) it'll be fine. It'll be fine. So, Emily, you are a mum of seven. I am, yes. Incredible. Yeah, yeah. Not quite what we were expecting, but yeah, very, very blessed. Yeah. 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 And I know that you've also been a long-time editor as well. You've done several different projects, including our diocesan history book that was recently released as well. Yeah. Which is incredible. Um, you were our former youth coordinator for the Wagga Diocese, also. Yes, a long time ago. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yep. Not like that long ago. You came and visited my school when I was at school. So. Oh my goodness, that makes me feel really old. <laughs> <laughs> no, and you are also on the virtue ministry team. So yes, I recall. I don't know if you remember, but I recall you sent an email very early on in our time and just said, "Hey, look, these are my skill sets." I'm happy to help if there's anything I can do. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then you jumped on board and helped us out with graphic design and then have stayed on board as one of our writers as well. So. Yeah. Yeah. In between having kids. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. No, you're incredible. Taking the lots way, of time off. Yep. The way you manage your time, incredibly admirable. It's, yeah. It's one of the mm. traits that I definitely admire. Thanks. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So let's just dive in. All right. Well, let's do it. Emily. Yes. What does an average day in your life look like? Well, um, so usually it begins with an an alarm blaring or a child needing my attention Um, and then we're we're straight into it. So of our seven children, four are at school Um, and we also live on a property. So we're actually sort of half an hour away from where they go to school and that sort of thing as well. So usually it's early morning and, yeah, getting breakfast on the table, getting everyone in the right uniforms, you know, <laughs> out the door on time with lunches packed mm. and all the, you know, homework done, all that sort of thing. Um, and then, you know, straight into sort of housework chores and I get um, the other kids kind of settled happily for the morning. Um, then I have my uh, coffee break. Mm-hmm. I don't actually drink coffee, but I sit down and just have a cuppa and um, that's when I do my, my gospel reading and um, a little bit of um, meditation, usually from... St. Jose Maria Escriva. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so then we launch back into the day. So, you know, some days we have um, activities on that we might attend with the kids, um, like a mother's group, um, that kind of thing. Generally speaking, we're at home and I'm doing loads, literally loads and loads of washing and lots of cooking and lots of tidying up and that kind of thing, which is lovely. Um, and just, yeah, doing fun things with kids like uh, painting or playing with Play-Doh and, you know, those kind of things. Um, 
and then we head in and pick the kids up from the bus about 4.30 and then it's like homework and afternoon tea and dinner and bath and rosary and bed and then I usually go to bed fairly soon after. Because uh, with seven kids, yeah, you don't know what the night's going to bring. Yeah. So, um, and then, yeah, some... Some evenings I might go out to, we have a local book club I attend, which mm. is all Catholic mums, so, um, which is lovely, except we have been choosing some really dense classics recently, oh, and okay. when you're a little bit sleep deprived, it's oh. a bit hard to get through them, but they've been fantastic. Um, what kind of classics have been on the list? Mm. Um, so we've just read Quo uh, Vardis. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and this year we've also done the Divine Comedy. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can I join the book? Absolutely. <laughs> no, honestly. I'm not a Catholic yeah. mum, but really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it'd be nice. Uh, we actually invited Father Murray, um, another local priest, um, out to our discussion on the Divine Comedy as yeah. well, which yeah. was fabulous. But, yeah, we've um, we read some amazing books. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Mm. Very good. And um, tell us, how did you meet your spouse? How did, you, uh, how did that all come about? And how did you know he was the, oh, I, I hate this word, but how did you know that he was the one? The one, yeah. <laughs> so um, probably very typical of our relationship was he actually kind of annoyed me a bit. Um, that's, <laughs> and, and I say this in, you know, the nicest sort of way, but at the time I was working for a Catholic religious order out at um, San Isidore um, and I was working in their media office mm-hmm. and we decided that, you know, we'd start a youth group in Wagga. And my now husband was studying in Wagga at the time. Um, so after I came back, I think gone to World Youth Day, I actually met his cousin, his brother, and then we started running this youth group the following month. And he was literally the only young person of the, you know, 20 that we invited that actually turned up. And, I mean, he was very nice, but I was, I was not interested. I was, at the time, discerning whether I was called to religious life. So when I say that he was annoying, he just kept popping up everywhere. And, you know, <laughs> and I'd take him to spiritual direction and be like, oh, this guy is just, you know, he's just always there. And, you know, he's lovely and he's a great Catholic guy, but, you know, it's just it's not for me. Um, and then, yeah, eventually God sort of tapped me on the shoulder and went, yeah, maybe you should rethink that. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember telling my spiritual director, oh, Oh, yeah, look, I, I'm having doubts about whether God's, you know, calling me to their religious life. And he said, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Which was, you know, precisely why I chose him as a spiritual oh. director because, yeah, he would say yeah. it like it was. So, um, yeah, I think we started dating in, like, February and before the close of that year we knew that we were going to get married because yeah. I think first, second date, that was, you know, what we talked about. Like, we're not in it for just you know, a short while and, mm, and move on. Yeah. Like we're discerning, are we called to marriage? Are we called to marry each other? Or, you know, what yeah. are we actually yeah. called to? So, um, yeah, we actually ended up prolonging our sort of courtship just to get our families used to the idea that we were going, we felt that was our path. We sort of felt that, you know, we didn't want to rush things and, you know, just really get our family involved in in and getting mm. to know each other's families and, and that kind of thing. Um, but all said and done, we were sort of married within 18 months. Okay. Yeah. Yep. It sounds like so. a very intentional relationship that you guys stepped into. Yes, yeah. And I think it had to be um, at that time for a lot of reasons, but particularly because he finished studying in Wagga, he didn't actually live in Wagga. Right. So, and my work kept me 
based in Wagga, so I was working for this religious order. Um, it was also, at the time, had been working for the local diocesan paper. Um, and then this job that I really wanted, you know, came up in Wagga and um, and that was the youth ministry job mm. that um, you mentioned a little bit earlier, which was preparing for the World Youth Day in 2008. Um, and I'd been to... Body Youth Day in 2005 and I just knew that I had to be a part of bringing that experience to our diocese because, you know, our trip was phenomenal and I look back now and look at the vocations that came out of that trip. Mm. Um, Other Bradley Rafter is, you know, yes. one, one yes, example. Yes. Um, and, yeah, so I wanted very much to apply for this job but, of course, because we were so intentional about our relationship and we were, knew we were called to marriage, it was a question of, do I take this job because um, it was a three-year contract? Mm. Um, and if I did take this job, what did that mean for Ben, who was at the time working um, in Kudamundra? So mm. um, in the end, you know, we prayed and discerned through it and got the job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Ben actually found employment in Wagga, mm. um, which was such a blessing because then we were able to marry um, – um, 10 months after I took the job oh, and, right. and he was obviously a great sense of support in that job which involved a lot of travelling and um, a lot of weekend work mm. which you don't sort of think about at the time but um, yeah so that was wonderful and I think that you know in retrospect I probably wouldn't have been able to do that ministry and give us a fully you know um, to that ministry if we hadn't married at that yeah, point in time. Right. Sure, yeah. sure. Mm. Brilliant. And uh, your family and your children, or well, I mean your, your husband, you've spoken to your mm -hmm. husband, but, but yep. uh, you, your children, yeah, you have seven. We have seven, yes. And uh, how would you describe their personalities? I mean, they're probably all so different. They it's, it's are really <laughs> different. Yeah, it's really interesting how different that yeah. they can be and yet be so similar, um, yeah. which is amazing. Yeah, so we have... Um, we have four boys and three girls okay. now um, and we have some really intense personalities, really focused, really detail-orientated, um, some really inquiring minds, mm. like really curious, mm -hmm. um, which is lovely. And then, you know, we have really energetic children mm. and others who are quite happy to sit in book inside and read a book all day sure, and, sure. you know, sort of um, in between. And then, you know, as any birth order, you have your dominant personalities within know the family yes. based on yeah yep, where you fit in line and and that kind of thing and and the dynamics you know when some kids are not home and others are it's yeah it's oh, quite interesting yeah yeah, right. yeah, sure, yeah. Sure. and I guess like in um, relationships outside of the family that some people can bring out the best in you and some people don't and yeah. I think that's yep. the same with siblings yep. as well yep. okay so, okay yeah, Absolutely. yeah. Good and know. how do you mm. find managing all of those personalities as a mum yeah, it's pretty tricky because, um, I don't know, I was probably a bit naive when, you know, as you are when you become a mum that you think, oh, you know, you just use the same discipline strategy for every child. Mm. But you can't really do that because they're all different and their their strengths and weaknesses are different, but so are their triggers and their reactions to things as well. So I found the more confident I was in where the child was coming from in a particular situation the better I could adapt the discipline or the mm -hmm. reaction to it. And so there are some children I know that, you know, when they're getting really worked up, I, there's no point talking to them because they need to bring themselves 
Um, so often, you know, um, I might say to one child who's having a really bad day, all right, just go go down to your room for a while and just calm down and then we'll talk about it. Whereas another child might do the same thing that perhaps this other child was angry about, but the response will be different. Um, and that can be a bit tricky as well because they want everything to be fair so of course, yeah. and, and equal. And yeah. so, you know, there's a lot of explaining, well, um, you know, for instance, I have a couple of boys who get really angry when they're frustrated and mm. I have a daughter who cries mm. and the boys think that that's just such a sooky response. So yeah. if she cries, <laughs> you know, it, that's that makes them sort of angrier. Oh. Whereas, you know, you sort of have to sit down and say to them, well, actually, you know, when you get frustrated, you get really angry and, you you know, you want to punch something or you want to do something really active. But she doesn't respond that way. She, um, you know, she internalises a little bit more and she cries. Like that's her excess emotion sort of spilling out. Mm. And I mean, it doesn't always work. You know, they're still going to react oh, sure. anyway. Yeah, but just sure. trying yeah, to sure, sort of understand sure. that, you know, different people are going to react differently mm. and we just have to, yeah, tread a little bit carefully. Mm. And yeah, work out what our triggers are and if her crying is upsetting, you know, maybe you need to remove yourself from the situation right. and, and mm. come back when you can handle what's happening. So, mm. yeah. And really Gosh. equipping them because, I mean, they're quite mm. young. Yes. Really equipping them from a very young age to be aware of, of their, their selves and their own mm. emotional Yes. regulation and, and response which is that's some pretty decent human formation right absolutely there. yeah absolutely. yeah it's uh it's fairly intense yeah, yeah. um <laughs> <laughs> i think the other thing is that you're so conscious of wanting to not solve their problems for them mm. because you don't like you don't want to micromanage what they're doing because they have to learn the skills then to take into relationships as they get older whether it's um you know simple things of how to get along with each other or how to speak charitably about Mm. each other or you know just little bits and pieces or maybe they need to build up a bit of resilience or Mm. you can't um yeah so it's a really fine line because sometimes you just you know some wrap them in a really big hug and be like everything's gonna be okay (laughs) but you know i can't still be doing that when they're 23 and Throwing them a bit of a curveball, you know, at some point they're going to have to go, okay, well, that situation didn't go well, and I need to take ownership for maybe what I didn't do as well as I could have. And maybe if this situation happens again, this is this might be a better way to go about it. So, yeah, yeah, okay, that's beautiful. Um, a follow up question then, because just hearing from how (laughs) intentional you and Ben were in your relationship, and Mm -hmm. also hearing how you know, well-informed you are and it, it, I, I'm guessing that in your <laughs> parenting together, you and Ben oh, would also be very intentional. So I'm, I'm guessing maybe you can talk us through some family values or principles that you go by in your parenting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I suppose the, the biggest guiding principle that we sort of have as a family is that None of us are perfect um, and that was something we were very clear about from the beginning um, and that includes mum and dad. Mm. And I remember, you know, myself growing up when I realised that mum and dad weren't infallible, that was was really yeah. upsetting. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, so we've sort of tried to um, insist from an early age that, you know, the kids know that we're not perfect as well and that everyone is doing their best. And so if everyone is doing their best, then we have to extend to them the same courtesy and consideration and respect that we would like to receive Mm. in return. Um, And the other, you know, biggest thing that really we've sort of set out is um, 
you know, the Lord has to come first. Mm. So we had a really good example of this on the weekend. Um, our children play football and netball in mm. a local league and there was a carnival on Sunday and my daughter's age group, so I think in our youngest son who plays football, um, they could have attended this day. But it has no bearing on their season as a whole and they weren't actually letting their team down or anything. Sure. And so we thought a whole Sunday at a carnival where you know, the kids don't actually have to be. It's not a compulsory thing. Um, you know, we, we won't go. We'll, we'll keep that day. Um, and that's what, you know, we've done in practice before is to keep that day free. And, um, yeah, so my 11-year-old daughter came home from training and she was so upset because oh. we just hadn't mentioned the carnival to them because they weren't going oh. and, yeah. you know. Yeah. And, you know, in hindsight perhaps I should have, you know, pre-warned them. But, um yeah, she came home and, and she just felt like, you know, they were letting the team down. And, oh. and you know, we're playing and you know, they've got we've got a full day of games. And I said, yeah, look, I, I understand there's a, a carnival, but it has no bearing on the season that you're currently playing in on Saturdays and uh, which you are committed to. And also it's a Sunday. And, you know, she got very upset. And in the end I said, oh, look, you know, you may not like the decision, but would you put your netball carnival over going to mass and, and spending keeping the Lord's Day and no of course oh. not <laughs> <laughs> but it was so lovely because she knew oh. like and she and she had every right to feel you of know course. upset but you know she she realized yeah it's it's the right decision and um, I mean oh. and she's currently preparing for confirmation as well mm. so mm. attending the carnival would not only be not going to our normal um Sunday Mass, but also the confirmation class sure. that, that came yeah. after it and, and that yeah. kind of thing. So, sure thing. yeah. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, <laughs> touched with it. Yeah. 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 But beautiful. Yeah. Um, what about your faith journey? What Were you raised in a Christian home? Like where, where does your personal faith journey start and how has it evolved to where it is now? Yeah, sure. Um, so yeah, I was raised in a in a Christian home. My parents were both Catholics, um, but I feel like they were the first generation that came through after you know the changes that were brought in by the the Second Vatican Council. So I think both of my parents didn't feel like they were very well formed in the faith. Um, and you know, growing up, I mean, we went to mass every Sunday. We did all those, you know, things. We went to confession, you know, the um, the minimum at least. Um, but it wasn't there wasn't really any talk of a relationship. So, um, and I'm I'm an eldest child, so I like to you know do things by the book and follow the rules. So, um, you know, as a as a teenager, I knew what the church taught on different things. I didn't know why and I didn't Mm. understand why. And um, to be honest, I didn't actually know where to go to find out why. So I think I had a really, yeah, I can't really say that my faith was super important to me um, at that point, but I just, um, yeah, I just knew that there was probably more to it, but actually how do you navigate Mm. finding Mm. that? and I went to a public high school, so I was, you know, pretty much only a practicing Catholic in yeah. the in the year group as well. So it wasn't like I had, you know, friends to to call upon for that. Um, and so I I finished school, and I was actually quite directionless. So I did really well at school, as I said, you know, I do things by the book. So you know, <laughs> did really well at school, and used to joke, uh, you know, I'm the only person who got whatever UAI, which is now an ATAR, I think, um, yes. Yes. and. 
I, I didn't know what I was doing. I, I didn't um, – and I ended up enrolling in a degree out here at um, CSU, which was a double degree in graphic design and, and multimedia, more because mm, I'm not really sure what I'm doing, but mm. I've always really enjoyed art and, mm-hmm. you know, design, so I'll, I'll go and do that. And um, But that year the, the priests at our parish actually changed. So we went from the – um, having an older priest who was really actually just got to the point and physically wasn't able to handle the um, the demands of of um, pastoral life there, and he didn't have an assistant priest most of the time either. Um, so yeah, this religious order came in and. Um, they really shook me out of my stupor, to be honest. Oh. You know, they started giving homilies that actually wasn't just you know kind of do your best and everything will be okay, which is not essentially what this other priest was saying, that he sort of it was entry level, mm, um, whereas sure. they started saying, no, no, you know, if you're going to be Catholic, you need to get your feet wet. Like you can't just mm. be at the surface. And um, and I loved it because mm. I've always really enjoyed reading and learning. I um, So, yeah, I just loved it. It was amazing. So, um, you know, by midway through that year, I knew I was not going to finish this degree. It was not... Mm-hmm. Not what I was called to be doing um, because, you know, all of a sudden it became apparent that actually God has a plan for you. So yeah. you might feel directionless and aimless, but actually he's been nudging you the whole time and you've just been ignoring <laughs> yeah. him. And, um, yeah, so because I'd come out here and I really you know, I enjoyed the design side of things, um, but I realised um, when I was creating an animation for a um, – for a project out here that it wasn't the animating that I really enjoyed or the art side of things. It was actually the stories. So it was actually, um, you know, the ideas behind it. So um, for me that meant changing to a a different degree, um, which was in writing, but Mm. not just journalism, which is, you know, how I've um, spent most of my professional career, but also just creative writing and Mm. and that kind of thing. And just that love of... um, yeah, using words to express, you know, um, really beautiful ideas or or themes or just really interesting, engaging stories and characters. So, um, yeah, so I changed degrees. I ended up working for this religious order in the nice. media office. Okay. Yeah. Nice, nice. Um, yeah, so I went from being a directionless 18-year-old to actually being the founding editor of a magazine in their media stable, which was uh, for young people. And, um, yeah, I ended up continuing to do that until after must have been the birth of our third child mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and I just felt that the demands, basically the deadlines, so, you know, it's obviously a deadline-driven industry, mm. was just a little bit too hard mm. um, to continue. But, you know, I love it and I still occasionally write for them. And oh, Yeah, fantastic. just really enjoyed it, yeah. yeah. And learnt so much even just through researching things for articles um yeah and I think that's why you know I've gone on later to be involved in book clubs and and things like that because I mean you can never learn too much about the faith um you know God is infinite and we've got finite minds but um yeah so I just find yeah the possibilities of, of learning and greater depth or understanding um like I wouldn't say I'm a theologian or I'm particularly wise but um I just, yeah, really enjoyed. For me, that's sort of um, a really important part of any relationship is actually that intellectual sort of um, mm. stimulation mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of thing. So, yeah, so that was all really, really wonderful. Um, 
yeah. And then I like I've kept kept writing since, but um, yeah, obviously discerned that putting the family first yes. Sure. Yes. was the way to go. Yeah. yeah. And so you you spoke before about you were discerning at least you were discerning religious life and then felt pulled towards marriage instead. Mm-hmm. Was there a desire to be a mother? You know, at this point when you're working for this particular order. No. When did when did that sort of come about for you? This this is going to sound so funny, but um, and I think it still happens a lot today. There's mm. a lot of indoctrination that um, women, in order to be successful, should not get married and have children. Mm. And mm. so, um, especially you know, as I mentioned, I did fairly well at school. You know, um, I think other women who feel like maybe their own story didn't live up to the hype. They kind of project that onto you and Mm. I felt very um I didn't realize you know sort of how deeply that went at the time but I do feel like they sort of were definitely denying the the truth and beauty of of motherhood and just but just even being a wife (laughs) you know so I really got the message that I needed to get out there and and be successful and that I was obliged to because I had been um so academically successful um so motherhood marriage the whole lot it was not on my radar at all and I think that um the only reason then um that I sort of had potentially looked into religious life was that um I still saw that somehow being a wife and mother was perhaps a shackle and that I could do more um yeah without that um and so it took I think it took me a long time just to unpack a those thoughts because they they weren't anything I'd ever actually uttered myself Mm. um but it was obvious yeah that through Mm. the attitudes of of women in my life whether they were teachers or family that yeah they felt somehow kind of ripped off by being at home and that their Mm. wings were kind of clipped in doing that so I think yeah um you know that process of discerning was really about actually unpacking my ideas of what it was to be a person and relational Mm. as well like Mm. how do I relate to God the father and Jesus the son if I don't value motherhood or I don't value um you know the home like how does that how does that play out yeah Yeah. that's a really interesting thing because it's it's you know when we talk about discernment here at the seminary we one of the things we say to the fellows is you have to do the work of discerning your intentions uh, you know why are you here? And on the, on the face of it, it's like, well, why do you think I'm here, Father? Yes. You know, I mean, because I want to be a priest. Why else would I be here? You know, but but deeper than that is, yeah. But is there is there something else that's pushing you to that drive? Is it that you actually feel that that God has called you, or is it that there is some something else driving your pursuit of that goal, other than I feel drawn to this by God? Uh, that's that's it's it's so in any discernment for any vocation, that's just of, of absolute importance to be able to determine what's my motivation for doing this. Oh, and it sounds it sounds like that was just that mm. was a very key, yeah. Oh, yeah. absolutely. And you know, um, the spiritual director I had at the time is actually a first year formator in Sydney. <laughs> so you know, 
Obviously, God was uh, planning some things for him as well. But I remember him saying to me that the same qualities that make a, a good wife and mother are the, um, you know, it's the same for religious life as sure. well. And mm-hmm. I think once once you hear that in kind of um, black and white, you think, okay, so if they take the same qualities, what is that that I'm running from? And when you think it's actually societal constraints and this feminist ideology, you think, okay, well... What's stopping me from, you know, now discerning without those kind mm. of that kind of baggage mm. um, where I'm supposed to be and what I'm supposed yeah. to be doing? Yeah. yeah. One aspect that you think is necessary for living a life which is full? Um, for me, I think the, the biggest thing, um, one of the biggest things is actually trusting that God has a plan and mm. um, and also that he's in control because, um, yeah. you know, once again, oldest child, I like a particular order. I like to be in control and um, I can certainly assure you that in the vocation of marriage and family, there are a lot of moments <laughs> that <laughs> you are not in control of. And um, and I'm going to say that I resisted, you know, that trust for, for a long time mm. because when you've always been someone who's been capable or confident, like, oh, there's no book I can't read to figure out this. Or, you know, I I mean, I couldn't cook when I married and my mother-in-law was like, that's fine, you know, here's a recipe book you can read, you can follow instructions, you'll be right. So I I think I kind of took that approach to everything. Like I can learn every skill that's Mm. necessary, but, Mm. um, you know, you only have to throw up one crisis in your life and realise you've got no control over what's happening and and then what happens um then you start feeling helpless or hopeless and think Mm. you know how am I going to get us out of this or how am I going to change this but I think it's in those moments you know when you're at at rock bottom you really have to say I don't have control of this um but somebody does and I need to trust that whatever comes out of this whatever comes out of this situation um it's, it's what he wants, you know, mm, and it's going mm. to be best for me. I yeah. might, might be a bitter pill to swallow. <laughs> but, sure, um, these things often are. Yep. Yeah, yeah, they are, they are. And I sort of had, um, you know, I've been working uh, intentionally on trust for <laughs> quite a while now. Um, and like even last year I had a friend who was gravely ill in hospital mm. in an induced coma and I, um, and in our little community as well, um, of friends, a lot of her family were there and, you know, we were rallying around and offering masses and going to the church and just praying all the time. And I remember being struck at the time that I'm actually praying for my friend to get better because I want her to get better. Yeah. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> Which, I mean, it's perfectly fine. Yeah. But what if God doesn't want my friend to survive this? Like what if his will for her is actually to take her now, to call her home to heaven and, um, yeah, like I don't have any control over that. I'm not a doctor. I can't go into the hospital and do Mm. any better than any of these amazing people who are looking after her. Um, You know, I have no control over this situation. But, yeah, it started really got me thinking about what I'm actually praying for. So, um, you know, when – you're praying, I think you in that relationship with God, you have to trust him and say, look, I want my friend to get better. Like That's, yes. that's what I'm praying yes. for. But if that's not your will, help me to accept mm. it. You know, help me to understand, you know, there's a mm. greater purpose in all of this and um, mm. you know, help me to <laughs> cope with what I can't control, I guess. Or, yeah. you know, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, and to learn what it is you want me to learn 
through this crisis mm. Um, mm. because I think every every crisis, every suffering we're given is an opportunity to learn something about ourselves yeah. or God or um, even just our relationship with God. And I mm. think, yeah, once you start really opening up um, – I mean, God knows these things about us anyway. Of course, of course. <laughs> but at some point we have to become vulnerable yeah. um, as you do in, you know, close relationships and in a marriage. Like you do have to be vulnerable at times yeah. and I think that for me being vulnerable is something I don't like it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't yeah. like that feeling. It's, yeah. it's really uncomfortable for me. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so learning – Persevering in trust, or yeah, trying to um, to trust that I don't know what's going to happen, but God's got it yeah, under control. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And, and I mean that that because that 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 sounds like the from our Catholic brains. Mm. That sounds like yes, that that is the right thing to do. Mm. Intellectually recognizing <laughs> that that is the right thing to do, yeah, and then actually. Like doing it is 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 so like it's so much more difficult to bring it into concrete reality yes. than it is to have it as a as a as a really nice idea that's in the head. What are some ways that we can bring it from a lovely idea to a concretized reality? Um, yeah, that's a really good question. I have to admit, for me, it was it was really a gradual process, and it was you know when things I didn't like what was happening or you know couldn't control it so it was really just saying lord just help me right now in this moment um and and it was yeah very basic to begin with like just i need your help you know i need you to help me accept this or um help me not to be so concerned about the outcome (laughs) you know help me not want to control everything and um and i think you get better and i suppose um it's little bit like a spiritual muscle like the more you start using it you know the stronger Mm. it's going to get um and so um like we had a a crisis in our in my family um a couple of years ago and um yeah I felt really adrift and it was it was really hard like each day was a real struggle and I just remember every day praying you know help me to trust you but all I think at the time I was just holding that little bit back and you know what it's like, you know, um, you get to the point where actually you can't do anything and you realise profoundly I can't do anything and I remember, you know, just kneeling on the floor of my bedroom and just, you know, crying and just Mm. saying, Jesus, I'm not supposed to be carrying this. Like (laughs) why has it taken me so long to trust you? Um, And... I'm not saying that every day got easier from that point on, but having that real um, feeling of I've given this to God now and Mm. each day is going to be hard for at least a little while. But I just had that, you know, tremendous sense of peace. Like I'm not alone um, and Mm. I don't have to control this. I just have to get through the day, you know, and do the things that I need to do, you know, for my husband, for my family, in my spiritual life. And, like, that's all I can control. You know, I can't control even how my family react Mm. to what's going on or, you know, those sorts of things. And it's just that real one foot in front of the other um, but knowing that, you know, each each little step that you take in trust, I mean, it's a big big step. It feels awful for us, you know. It feels like Mm. we're, you know, on we've been on pilgrimage for... 
for two weeks, our legs and, you know, uh, <laughs> everything's so heavy and we just, uh, you know, how much further, how much further. But, um, yeah, I just found that it's, yeah, just small steps. Like just start start really simply um, and just saying, yep, just help me. And to get to a point where we're actively um, discerning maybe even evening, um, you know, in a nightly examine or something, um, you know, what burdens am I carrying today? Mm. And which out of these, you know, plethora of burdens are the ones that God is actually asking me to carry now mm, and, yeah. and asking him to, A, take the burdens we don't need to carry um, and, B, help us, you know, carry mm. the burdens that we are supposed to be carrying. And, yeah, just a really conscious, um, yeah, it's just a really conscious realisation that, yeah, yeah, it's not about, about me, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you've you really you've you've hit something. I think it's quite important. There is that when we're when we're in control, or when we're we're, we're trying to be in control and sort of um, uh, sort of taking that trust back a little bit, mm. um, we we naturally wind up taking upon ourselves burdens that God never intended us to bear. Yeah, um, and probably creating some yeah, of them. Probably creating <laughs> yeah. some of them. Exactly, exactly. That's yeah. right. You know, and and and. Uh, you know, I, I I swear, guardian angels must follow us around, thinking it could be it just it could be so much simpler. You yeah. know, <laughs> you yeah. know, it just 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 trust for a moment, just trust. Absolutely. Uh, so yeah, yeah, no, that that that's that very very much resonates. Yeah. Mm. Are there any um, major, I don't know, points that you think would be useful for people to avoid in that? process of learning to trust God and to let go and let him have control like is there anything that jumps out at you as a avoid this or avoid that or um I think the biggest thing is is a question that you can ask yourself in Mm. any given situation am I trusting in my own ability or my own power to do this you know am I um backing myself 100% I've got this unreasonably (laughs) or am I trusting that God is going to use this moment um, for good or bad um, regardless of you know my saying it or you know like what what is this motivation you know do I want to be involved in this ministry because I want people to see how good I am at public speaking or whatever it might be or does God actually want me to embark on this ministry to help people mm. um so yeah it's sort of really asking that question yeah where does this thought come from is it from my me and often that's a place of um of pride you know um and I'm going to admit that that's something I really really struggle with um you know is this my pride is this me thinking oh I can do that because that's my skill set and that's fine um so just yeah taking every every decision or everything to prayer and, and really just evaluating, yeah, where is the motivation for this coming mm. from and and in whose power am I, uh, you know, am I resting? Because, yes, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're gonna, we will run out of energy and that's, you know, we can burn out. And, mm. Yes, yes. And, you know, right. and we find that's those right. ministries that maybe God had a plan for us in um, just being a real burden and a real challenge to to front up and actually do what we mm. need to do because mm. we're not allowing him to work through us. Um, and I think that one of the, the biggest challenges I've found is that, uh, like, I might have all these, you know, talents or gifts or, um, 
in whatever profession that I, you know, um, and I am saying, you know, everyone because mm. I don't have all the talents sure. and gifts. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> but, you know, God has put me here for a reason and in this particular circle or area of influence and I have the ability to accept this invitation and trust him to work through me as a channel or equally I have the um, opportunity to say, no, I'm going to do things my way because, you know, I know better, um, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think that, yeah, it's a conscious decision to actually Absolutely. start putting yourself second and I think we live in a culture that's, oh, me first, yeah. me first, yep. you know. Yeah. And so it's yep. really, it's kind of revolutionary really. Yes, yes. For it's, today. It's, it's quite counterintuitive for mm. today, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. 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 Um, and, yeah, I, for me that's, I think that's the biggest thing. And it's, it sounds really easy. But it's it's a lot yeah. <laughs> in the moment. It's, it's, it's a lot, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a yeah. lot. Yeah. Touching yeah. them in the moment is not easy. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. But those are great questions for personal accountability. Mm. Definitely. Too. So mm. great tools. Yeah. Really good Very tool. much so. What about with your personal relationship with mm-hmm. Christ? We go through different seasons throughout different um, periods of our life. Where, What kind of season would you say you're in? at the moment and where do you feel he's calling you into? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. <laughs> um, so I've definitely come through that, you know, energetic first flush of, of new, um, new faith or I guess um, I feel like I'm probably more in the, the hard slog part. Um, so, you know, for me at, at the moment I don't get, you know, those spiritual consolations that are so wonderful when mm. you first, you know, come back into the fold and you think, oh, this is amazing, you know, and you, you go and pray in the church and, oh, I just, I can feel him everywhere, yeah. you know. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so rewarding. Um, yes. <laughs> it's, it's not quite like that um, for me, but um, I do feel like I'm probably at that stage where you talk about, you know, where you've been Mm. and so you know obviously I mean I just pruned my roses the other weekend it was really cathartic Um, but you know it's it's a painful process really it's um and you know while it is it can be hard I also feel like I'm coming to know him a lot better uh, that I'm a lot closer to him and you know during the day I'll find myself just praying as I'm doing things that, you know, never would have occurred to me. So I'm sort of more conscious of his presence without actually feeling his presence, mm. if, you know, that sounds quite contradictory. But no. um, certainly more conscious of it. And I find that I sort of naturally without, you know, without trying, um, you know, just bring him into my day, allow him into my day, my conversations and what I'm doing, Um and so for me, it's a real conscious effort now of I want to get to know him better. And um, and I suppose, uh, sort of thinking about this um, before I came, that sometimes in relationships it can feel a little bit one-sided because of what we, we feel like we're getting back from a yes. relationship. So like on paper at the moment, you'd kind of go, oh, well, you know, I probably feel like I'm putting a lot more in than I'm getting back. But then I look at my life and think, I'm I've got more than enough back, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've got my husband, I've got seven beautiful children. Um, we live in a fabulous community where we're surrounded by wonderful people and, mm. you know, we, we don't want for anything. Um, 
which is absolutely amazing. Mm. And it was something my 13-year-old brought up the other day. It was um, the gospel passage of, you know, it's easier for, <laughs> a, you know, a camel to pass through the eye of a needle mm. than for a rich man to uh, inherit heaven. And he was he was really quite upset about this, this yeah. gospel because he said, you know, Mum, we're rich. And I was like, mm. Yeah, but like, <laughs> it, I mean, it's all relative. But he said, "But we don't, we don't need anything. You know, we have a house to live in. We have food on the table. Like, we don't have to worry week to week what's happening. You know, Dad has a job. We go to school. Um, you know, we um, yeah, we don't have to budget. You know, strictly or anything like that. You know, we are. And I just thought, yes, that's a really beautiful way mm. of looking at it mm. because. We can always think, oh, if only just had that food yeah. or this thing, you know, yep. be better. Whereas, you know, he really got in that gospel reading um, that actually we've got everything. And when you think about life that way, you know, I really can't put in too much effort or too much into my relationship with Jesus right, right. because I'm already blessed. Yes. <laughs> you know, yes. beyond. Yep. Yeah. You know, beyond measuring, really. Um, <clears throat> I mean, at the moment, like, I, I mean, I have some kids. People go, oh, my goodness, you know, what a lot of work. But I have friends who who cannot have children. You know, mm. they can't physically have children. Um, I have other friends who are, are struggling with infertility. I've actually had two friends miscarry in the last couple of weeks, mm. you know. I mean, this is heartbreaking. And, yeah. you know, here am I. And, I mean, absolutely blessed. I have not miscarried a child. We have not lost a child at all. Um, you know, we haven't had to experience that kind of grief or pain. Um, so, yeah, like I'm happy to say I'm, I'm incredibly blessed. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know? Yeah. So there's nothing – yeah, I can't – give to God in equal measure. So it might feel one-sided to me at times, mm, yeah. but in it is, but it's the other way around. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. and so what I feel has has no sort of bearing on that. And, um, yeah, so I, I love it. Um, and the other thing sort of more, more recently is, you know, we talk about being a mum is a lot of work and it is a lot of work, but, I mean, you still have to, if you don't have children, you still have to wash and clean and, you know, all these things. It's just, you know, when you have kids, it's just more washing and more cooking and, you know, economies of scale and, you know, that kind of thing. But um, I, I just have really fallen in love with uh, the idea of offering everything. So, um, you know, at the moment I'm working on this enormous cross-stitch that I started not long after my husband and I got married. It's literally a, a wedding sampler. So it's oh, got all wow. these images and then you put the date oh. of the wedding. Yep, so we will be married 14 years next month. So, you know, that's how well it's going. <laughs> but my daughters who have just taken up cross-stitch picked it up um, recently and said, oh, Mum, you never finished it. And I looked at it. It's, it's about half done. Well, actually, no, it was probably less than half done. <laughs> and, um, and I thought, oh, yeah. And they said, oh, Mum, you should finish it. And I thought, oh. So it's a bit onerous, you know. Mm. Obviously, I've put it away at some point, and you know. And I thought, okay, I will. And uh, I thought, every little stitch, every tiny little yeah. stitch, I'm going to yeah. offer this particularly for my husband and our marriage. Mm. Yeah, and then beautiful. that makes a hobby, which I love. I love, um, you know, sewing and doing creative things. It makes a hobby that, yeah, that I really enjoy have that spiritual dimension. Yeah. And, um, you know, I had a, another woman suggest to me, you know, when you're pegging out the washing, every peg. You know, I'm doing this for you, Jesus. You know, I'm, I'm pegging 
Mm. And you just think, oh my goodness, like there are so many opportunities in my yeah. day <laughs> that I've been wasting for years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Like, all, the, all those mundane, you know, things we don't talk about, um, they're all things that I can really be be offering for my family and in my relationship with Jesus. And I think once I consciously started doing that, mm. um, that's when he naturally came to my thoughts during the day and that's where, you know, I'd find myself, like I literally have conversations with him in my head as I'm doing things. Yes. I mean, yep. it's yes. beautiful. It, it's, yeah, it's well, that's what I'm for, it. yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I just think that, um, yeah, this is a really beautiful time in my faith journey even though I, yeah, don't get those spiritual consolations mm. of feeling, mm. you know, a great peace mm. or great joy. or But there's sort of that underlying feeling of um, of his presence in, in my house. You know, mm. I don't have to go to the church. I mean, I love going to the church yes. and he's, you know, he's there. But, um, yeah, but I can actually start, you know, loving him better through ironing mm-hmm. or putting on a load of washing or cooking yeah. a lasagna for a friend up the road or, you know, all those things, not only the act itself, but, you know, I can add, I guess, supernaturally supercharge yeah. them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. You know, Absolutely. with, yes. with the, that as well. The sacramental reality that's in the church kind of presupposes that mm. that, that, that that personal relationship is being nourished. Yes. You know, it, it's it's you're absolutely right. Yes, I can go to the church, but unless prior to going to the church, there's a a, a relationship being built and conversations being had while hanging out the washing. Mm. Yeah, uh, that's it's it's not going to bear the same level of fruitfulness. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that you know, as a mum, you know, the, ki- the kids can ask you really, really profound questions. Hey. And um, I have to admit, a lot of the times I'm not prepared. <laughs> sure. <laughs> because, you know, often there's a certain amount of magnitude there that you think, oh, okay, all right, you know, that's that's a really big question. But how do I take that really big question? A, answer it. <laughs> B, <laughs> B, sort of bring it down to a level that my child can understand as well. So and I think that if you're nourishing that relationship with him and you can just say, right. um, yeah, you can help me answer this question now, that would be yeah, really mm. great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Father mm. Scott Armstrong used to say that uh, that he would test his doctoral thesis on kindergarten students, and if he couldn't explain a particular concept to a kindergarten student, then he didn't fully understand it himself, and That's needed, to, needed to go away and 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 look at it more closely. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sim- yeah. Simple questions with big answers. That yes. We can simplify if we have that relationship. Mm, yeah, about. definitely. Yeah. And yeah. it's so beautiful to encourage children. I mean, yeah. I'm sort of speaking particularly from my you know, experience as a mum to encourage them because you don't want them to ask a question and you go, yeah, I don't know the answer to that. Um, you know, <laughs> sure. Sometimes sure. it's a big question and I say, look, that's a really good question. That's mm. actually one of my staple answers now, especially if I'm buying for time. That's a really good question. <laughs> um, and if I'm not sure, I'll say, okay, you know what? I'm not 100% sure on that. So why don't we go and look it up together and, you know, and we can do that. And it's lovely. And um, and it's really nice when you see it click for them as well. Mm. So I remember mm. – um, must be our 13-year-old, but only when he was about six or seven and they were talking about the Apostles' Creed at – at school and, you know, it dawned on him one day, oh, 
this is actually the creed that the literal apostles, like this is them. Like it's all, it's not just this is the apostles' creed and I know this off by heart, but literally like these people I read about in the Bible, they they wrote this, you know, like this is this is a link to them and, you know, just mind, you know, <laughs> blown. It was, yeah, it was amazing. And you think, yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This is this is our faith. It's yes. you are connected um, by this prayer, by many prayers, by so many other things, particularly God, to these people who mm. lived centuries ago. It's amazing. Yeah, awesome. Mm. Well, thank you, Emily, for being here. Thank you very much. Well, thanks for having me. This has been it's awesome. Been a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> This has been absolutely awesome. Um, what we normally do at the end of every podcast episode is that we fling a few random questions our guests' way. All right. If you just want to answer the very first thing that comes to mind. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Tea or coffee? Tea. Summer, winter, autumn or spring? Autumn. Oh. Mm. Favourite movie or book? Oh. <laughs> really big reader I think. <laughs> <laughs> that's really hard um goodness I'm, I'm gonna just gonna say the bible for the book because, oh. oh my goodness but, yeah I have a very extensive library I just couldn't narrow it down <laughs> sure, sure, that's a good, good one Sorry. good one favorite holiday and why hmm I would probably choose um somewhere quiet doesn't have to be the beach but yeah maybe just somewhere out in nature in a but not camping um so in like a, a cottage or a cabin or something sure, sure. comfortable <laughs> um yeah with uh with a good book and a cup of tea mm. perfect nice yeah. nice <laughs> oh dear <laughs> you open the freezer and find a penguin in it what do you think and do um, <laughs> well, I would first probably blame it on the children <laughs> and B, find out which child put a penguin in my freezer. <laughs> That's a very good answer. Oh, dear. It's probably someone's science project or something. I don't know. Oh, what is your favourite quality in friends? Um, integrity. Oh, good yeah. one. Good one. Yeah. What's one thing people misunderstand about you? Um, I have a lot of people think I'm an extrovert. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Set the record straight. <laughs> it, it takes me a whole week to, you know, gear up to spend yeah. time with people. So, yeah, yeah no, I'm not yep. an extrovert. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, if you could have one song... You played each time you entered a room. What song would that be? Oh, wow. I'm trying to think of something really funny. My husband would have a list. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's really good with music things. Yeah. Sure. Genre? Oh, something fun. Something, yeah. Something yeah. funky yeah. or, yeah. 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 Okay. It have to be fun, definitely. <laughs> all right, okay. Yeah, I'm just at the moment all the songs you sort of going through my head are, um, you know, off the kids' Spotify list. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we've been listening to the AFL like theme songs. I mean, sure. seriously. Sure. <laughs> okay. That might not be the song you want to listen to every time you do really. it. Right. Yeah. No, right. exactly. What inspires you and makes you feel like your best self? Oh, wow. Um, 
I have to say, without sounding really cliched, but uh, actually my children um, and spending time with them because kids just have this um, unique way of seeing the world. Mm. And I think it really helps you um, appreciate A, what you've got, but B, think a little bit differently about who you are and, and what's important and, yeah, and I think, yeah, just spending time with kids can really, you know, I mean, Jesus tells us you need to be childlike in your faith and not childish, you know, there's a difference. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, and I think that, yeah, the more time I spend, you know, in that quality time with the kids, um, yeah, even if at the time it might be a little bit, know tricky like if we're cooking in the kitchen and you know they're making a mess and want to crack the eggs and you know there's eggshell in the cake and you know that that kind of thing I mean it can be a bit trying but um yeah you always come out of the experience feeling quite energized so mm. Again, thank you so much for giving yes, us your you. time. Right. Thanks for, for having me. Um, and a shout out to your entire family too. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Listening also. Um, if you guys have enjoyed having Emily on our podcast today, let us know. As always, you can jump over to our Facebook group, Living Fullness, or you can find us on Instagram, also Living Fullness. Um, and we're going to have a little exclusive chat with Emily in a moment that you'll find on our Patreon page. So jump over to patreon.com forward slash Living Fullness and jump over to one of our tiers from Friends Up and you'll be able to check out that exclusive as well. So until next time, know about love and friends. God bless. God bless.